This morning we continue our series through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. So if you've got your Bible and would like to turn to Romans chapter 1, reading from verses 7 to 17. Romans chapter 1, verse 7 to 17. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Wonderful. So that's the Bible passage that we're going to be thinking about all together. Uh, in a moment, the children are going to go out to, uh, to Sunday school, but I just want to have a quick word with them uh, before they do. I've got a couple of uh, pictures. Uh, hopefully one will come up on the screen there. Now, who can tell me what is that a picture of? Come on, someone shout it out. Someone, oh, go on, go on uh, Lewis. Minecraft, Minecraft. I can still see some blank, blank faces. Some people are still none the wiser. This is Minecraft. Uh, I don't know too much about Minecraft, but uh, I know it's a computer game. Uh, it's got these kind of pixelated graphics, and you kind of go around building things. Uh, that's the extent of my knowledge about Minecraft. Uh, but I heard a uh, recently of a, a young boy who'd, I think he got a console for Christmas. And he got this game, Minecraft. He'd obviously seen other people playing Minecraft, and he loved Minecraft. Uh, And on Christmas Day, he got this games console, and he was uh, playing Minecraft, and he was just absolutely full of it. Uh, And anyway, time to turn the console off. He went to a family uh, party, uh, all of his family members there. And what do you think that little boy was talking about? Have a guess. (laughs) Minecraft. (laughs) He was talking to his aunties, his uncles, his grandparents, his cousins, uh, all about Minecraft. Some of them were interested, and some of them really weren't that interested. Uh, and and it, didn't, it didn't put the boy off, though. He continued to talk all about Minecraft because he just loved Minecraft. <laughs> you could say he was eager 
from, from Minecraft. Maybe there's some of you younger ones here, you're, you're kind of Minecraft fans and you, you know what that's, that's like. Uh, we're doing this letter to the Romans and we're going to see that Paul is eager for something, really eager. And I'll give you a clue, it's, it's not Minecraft. <laughs> Paul's not eager for Minecraft. Paul is eager, uh, next picture, there we go. Uh, Paul is eager about the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and for those who are Minecraft fans, you'll see I've even got that in a Minecraft font. <laughs> Took me about four hours this week to do that. <laughs> Paul is eager for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He just wants to tell people all about Jesus. And we're going to learn together today why, that, why that's the case, why Paul is so eager about the gospel. And as we learn that, I think uh, there's something that, that Paul wants to happen as we read his letter. He wants some of his eagerness, some of his keenness about the gospel to rub off on us. Be like the little boy talking all about Minecraft. Paul wants his eagerness for the gospel to rub off onto us. So we're just going to pray together uh, before the, the children go out. We're going to ask God that he would do his work uh, in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this uh, letter to the Romans. Uh, we thank you that your word is powerful. And Father, we do pray that as we uh, think again about the good news of Jesus, we ask that we would uh, come to experience and know something of Paul's eagerness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if the young ones want to head out, those who are primary aged who usually go out to Sunday school. There's also a quick crash today for any uh, very little ones at preschool. Uh, so there's a crash available. You've brought your Bible with you this morning. If you want to open it back up uh, to Romans chapter 1, that would be great. I'll just check. Am I loud enough for the folks at the back? Can you, can you hear? Yeah, I've got a couple of nods on the back row, so that's good. Great. So last week, uh, we listened together, didn't we, to the, the opening of Paul's letter to the, to the Romans. Uh, and we thought about this word, gospel. And we said that this letter is all about the gospel. And often when we hear that word gospel, we think it of a religious word, don't we? Uh, but actually the word gospel wasn't origin originally a religious word. It was an everyday word in Greek. It just, we noted last week, it means good news. It's that kind of proclamation of glad tidings. And I read out the definition uh, from William Tyndale, the Bible translator in the 15th century, uh, 16th century, uh, his definition of the word gospel. I, I love this definition. He says, the gospel signifies good, very glad and joyful tidings that makes the heart of a man glad, makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. <laughs> That's the gospel. Uh, and in his definition, he goes on to give an example of, of what might be this kind of the nature or the magnitude of the good news that he's talking about. So he says, sing and dance and leap for joy as when David killed Goliath the giant.
came glad tidings unto the Israelites that their fearful, cruel enemy was slain and they were delivered out of all danger. That's the kind of gospel, good news uh, Paul is uh, thinking about. It's about deliverance. It's about overcoming uh, an enemy. And again, in the opening verses, we notice that this good news is concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's, it's all about Jesus, about who he is and what he's achieved. That's the gospel. Here's a question for us to think about as we begin to look at this uh, passage together this morning. If the gospel is such good news, which it is, uh, why then are we as Christians sometimes slow to talk about it with one another? Why as Christians are we sometimes uh, fearful or nervous of telling others about Jesus? Let's be honest, we are at times, aren't we? All of us know something of that. If the gospel is such good news, why are we nervous about telling others? After we've uh, had our last song this morning, we'll have tea and coffee, uh, we'll chat together, and often it's uh, really easy to chat about everything that's happened in the week past. <laughs> that's, that's good and, and right. It's, it's good that we do that, share our lives together. But sometimes we're slow to talk about Jesus. I was at work uh, just before Christmas uh, and towards the end of the day I'd finished uh, seeing patients and the kind of hard work of the day was over and it was kind of tidying up, getting paperwork done, doing administration, uh, I just finishing off and someone who I work with came in to talk and we just started chatting about Christmas, you know, what you're doing, what are your plans uh, and somehow we got chatting uh, about uh, the difference between the way Polish Catholics celebrate Christ Christmas and the way English Catholics celebrate Christmas. This lady I was chatting with was, was a Catholic. And I guess I had a, a good opportunity there to, to turn the conversation away from talk of Christmas uh, traditions and practices towards the gospel, <laughs> towards Jesus, the, the one who Christmas is all about. But I didn't. Maybe a few reasons I could give why, why, why I didn't. Maybe uh, wishing to get home, wanting to get finished and, and get away. Probably uh, I was worried it would make her feel awkward or uncomfortable. It might make me feel awkward or uncomfortable. But if the gospel is such good news, those uh, excuses are pitiful, aren't they? Verses that we read earlier, Paul describes himself as someone who is eager for the gospel and not ashamed of the gospel. There they are, verses 15 and 16. So I am eager to preach to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. As I said there in that kind of brief children's story, I think the aim of these verses is that some of Paul's gospel eagerness would, would rub off on us. But we would then say, along with Paul, I, I am eager to, to share the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. So you're wondering what the big application is for us this morning as a church. It's that we are eager for the gospel and not ashamed of the gospel. As we see the application, Paul doesn't just come at us with that command. We, we all know that, don't we? <laughs> If you're a Christian here this morning, you know already that you should not be ashamed of the gospel. You should be eager to 
share it. And Paul just doesn't come at us with like a stick of this command and, and say, be eager, be eager, be eager. He, he wants to motivate us. He doesn't want to do the proverbial kind of pushing the car uphill. He wants to give us fuel in the tank, a motivation to be eager and not ashamed. And that motivation is rooted in the gospel itself. And he gives us three reasons uh, for us to consider why we should be eager and not be ashamed. We're going to look uh, briefly at those uh, three reasons. And then at the end, we're going to think about what this gospel eagerness produces in individuals and in a church, the, the fruit it produces. So three reasons why we should be eager and not ashamed. And then the, the fruit that gospel eagerness produces in a church. The first reason why we should be eager and not ashamed uh, is that the gospel is a debt to all people. Gospel's a debt to all people. So just verse 14 again, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. There are, there are two ways, I think, that we could get in debt. You can get in debt if, someone, if you go and ask someone for money. So I could just go to Stephen after and say, hey, Stephen, can I borrow a thousand pounds? And Stephen, because he's kind and generous, uh, he, would, he would hand that over. And then I'm, I'm in debt to Stephen. I owe him a thousand pounds. There's another way that I could uh, get in debt, though. Stephen could come up to me after the service and say, look, I'm feeling uh, really generous today. I've got this thousand pounds and I want to give it to Gordon. Could you pass it on to him? <laughs> So he gives me the, the thousand pounds uh, and then I'm in debt. Until I have passed that thousand pounds on to Gordon, I, I, I'm in debt. And it's that second way of being in debt that Paul uh, understands himself to be in debt, to have this obligation with regards the gospel. Having received this good news that is God's own good news, he sees himself as indebted until he has passed it on. And he sees that he must pass it on to all people. So he says to Greeks, to barbarians, to the, the wise and foolish. Those are spectrums, really, that are kind of catch-all. People of different cultures and nationalities, people who may be educated, those who, who aren't. Paul sees himself as a debtor to all people to share the gospel with them. We saw last week, didn't we, that the gospel proclaims Jesus is the everyone Lord. He's Lord of all. And that means this gospel is the, the everyone gospel that must be told to all of humanity. And at the end of the letter, Paul describes his ambition. He wants to go and preach where Jesus has not already been named. He's desperate to go and preach where people haven't heard because he feels this, this debt, uh, this obligation. And there's a sense that when, when we receive the gospel, it lays a similar obligation on, on every Christian. Because the gospel is not just for us. I think sometimes we're in danger, aren't we, of narrowing the scope of the gospel. So we have in mind maybe people uh, who we think may well believe the gospel. They may well turn and receive Jesus, and so we share maybe the good news with them. But then maybe in our minds as well, we have people who we think are really unlikely to receive the gospel. And so we maybe don't take the efforts to share the gospel uh, 
with them. I remember speaking with someone last year, not, not someone from our church, but they were speaking of how new people had, had come along to the church that they were part of. And, and they said these words. <laughs> they said of these new people, yeah, but they're just not really our kind of people. And I winced when they said that. Can you see, Paul is saying the exact opposite here. He's saying the gospel is for everyone and he has an obligation for everyone. None of us deserve Jesus. There's no prerequisite to hearing the gospel. God sends out his gospel freely into the world for all people. There's no entrance exam to pass, no initiation process that needs to precede the gospel. And aren't you glad this morning that the Lord didn't wait until we are his kind of people? before he sent Jesus into this world. He willingly, while we were his enemies, crossed at heaven and earth to give himself to us. So when we receive his son, that lays on us an obligation. We shouldn't see this obligation as a negative thing. It is a burden, but after all, the gospel is, is good news. That's the first motivation for sharing the gospel. The, the second Uh, motivation is that the gospel is the power of God to rescue. Look at verse uh, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. Verses 16 and 17 are a bit like a manifesto for the apostle Paul. Describe who he is, his, his aims, his focus. When he talks about salvation, the power of God to save he's not just thinking about that initial becoming a Christian. When people receive the salvation, he's talking about the whole package, which includes a fullness of salvation that will be ours at the very end. I think it's helpful to note that Paul wouldn't have written, I am not ashamed of the gospel, if he wasn't tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. There's no sense, is there, declaring you're not ashamed of something if there was no reason or temptation for you to ever to be ashamed of it. I think we, we know that to be true, don't we? We face that temptation. Why, why might we be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think, from the world's perspective, the gospel sounds foolish, Sounds foolish. People stumble over the gospel. The gospel says you can do nothing to save yourself. It undercuts all of our self-righteousness and pride. It looks weak from the world's perspective. The story of a man crucified on a cross and rising from the dead three days later. The idea that you'll put your faith in someone who you've never seen who lived 2,000 years ago. That sounds weak to the world. Maybe scoff at it. Others, maybe as you share the gospel, just don't understand and they feel awkward. The gospel is sometimes offensive. I've been reading through Acts uh, of an evening and in Acts you always see two responses to the gospel. 
The apostles will go into a city or a town or a village. They'll preach uh, about Jesus. There'll be those who believe. And there'll be those that hound them out of the city because they hate what they're saying. It's like Marmite. You, you love it or you, you hate it. In his uh, biography, John Stott tells the story of a time when he, early on in his Christian life, he tried to share the good news. He was so enraptured with the gospel, like the, the kid with the Minecraft. He was sharing it with his friends. And he's trying to explain how you can do nothing to save yourself. It's all of God's grace. You notice how Paul describes the, the church in Rome. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. They are the ones who are loved by God. This is a gospel of undeserved favour. John Stott was trying to explain this uh, to his friend. Uh, and, he, and then he writes this. He says, suddenly to my in intense astonishment, my friend shouted three times at the top of his voice, horrible, horrible, horrible. That was his response to the gospel of grace. And knowing all of this, sometimes it, it, we're tempted to be ashamed. But we know, don't we, that the gospel is not weak. It's not foolish. It is the power of God to save. If you want to see the raw, undiluted power of God, don't firstly go out and look at the night sky. Don't go in and stand on the beach and listen to the crashing waves. No, if you want to see the raw, undiluted power of God, see the man Christ Jesus hanging on a cross for your sins. See the empty tomb. That's where we see God's power, full strength. It's power to save. Christianity is a rescue religion. <laughs> it's not about becoming more knowledgeable or respectable. It's not about feeling better about ourselves, about increasing our self-esteem. Christianity is about being rescued. And God has determined to save people. And he's determined to save people through the power of his gospel. Not apart from it. That's how the hidden work of the Spirit goes on in, in lives. As the gospel goes out and God saves them. And many of us know and experience that power in our own lives, haven't we? And so we've gladly sung this morning the words of of that song, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and poor contempt on all my pride. Because we see the gospel is the power of God to save. So let's be eager and not ashamed. Maybe just think of someone in your mind, someone maybe who you know, who, as far as you can tell, it seems impossible that in one year, two years, five years' time, they would be sat here among us, joyfully singing God's praise. That seems an impossibility to you. And then remember that the gospel is powerful to save. Remember that when you open your mouth to speak true words about Jesus, that's more powerful than the burning sun. <laughs> it's mightier than the ocean tides. It doesn't always look like that, but it is. The gospel is the power of God to save. The third reason why we should be eager and not ashamed of the gospel is that it's power of God to save, to rescue all who believe. 
everyone who believes. So just read those verses again. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, you can see the the scope that Paul is opening up. He wants no narrowing of the, the gospel lens. It's for everyone who believes. And the book of Acts details the, the story of the early church. And we see that the gospel is first proclaimed in Jerusalem. It comes first to the Jews. And then from there, as the Acts goes on, it spreads out and comes to the Gentiles. But the gospel that saves the Jew who believes is the same gospel that saves the Gentile who believes. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background. It doesn't matter what family you're born into. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past or what you haven't done in your past. When you hear the gospel and believe it, you are saved. Paul goes on to explain why the gospel saves all who believe. Let's look at verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel reveals, Paul says, the righteousness of God. It's an interesting phrase, the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Well, righteousness, it's an attribute of God's character, isn't it? He's perfect and pure. He's always in the right. It's the rightness of his character, his perfect justice. The phrase, the righteousness of God, also refers to his activity. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, God had long promised this rescue. And in the gospel, we we see that rescue. And so the gospel displays the righteousness of God as he moves to keep his promise. As we go through Romans, we'll see, uh, as Paul leads us through this good news, that the gospel does reveal God's righteous character and his righteous activity. But this phrase, the righteousness of God, of God also means a righteousness from God, a gift of righteousness. The gospel tells me that I can be put right with God, not because of who I am or what I am able to do, but because of who Jesus is. In Christ, this righteousness, this right standing with God is, is held out to me as a, as a gift to receive by faith. You can see the emphasis on on faith in verse 17, can't you? All who believed are saved and only those who believe are saved. It's only those who come to God with empty hands, recognizing they have nothing to bring to earn his favor. Those who come to it with empty hands receive righteousness in Christ. Maybe Uh, you're here and you're wondering, what what do I have to do to make things right between me and God? How can I know everything's okay with us? Do I have to go to church at least once a month? Do I have to get baptized? What What do I have to do? And the gospel tells you, you can do nothing 
to be right with God. Absolutely nothing. You come with empty hands to receive. <laughs> Faith is just simply the eye that, that looks to Christ. The hand that reaches out to receive the free gift of Christ. The mouth that opens to receive the one who is the bread of life. That's what faith is, simply that. It's a response to who Jesus is and what he's done. And this leaves no room for self-righteousness, does it? No room for looking down on others. No room for that competitive spirit that we all feel within us. It's a great leveler. <laughs> None of us can do anything. All of us come the same way with empty hands uh, to receive. There's no one who finds salvation any other way. And the fact that people are simply saved by trusting in Jesus, that should be a great motivation for us not to be ashamed of the gospel, but to be eager to share it. Because that means no one is off limits. There's no requirements that people must meet. I can remember when I was younger, growing up in church, uh, some, some Sundays I'd sit there in church on a Sunday morning and I would just think about my school friends. <laughs> I think about some of the things that were happening in church and I knew that you know, school friends, they need to, to be saved. But in my mind, I couldn't see how they could ever kind of understand uh, this whole Christian faith w without kind of going through this initiation process of being, being brought up in the church. So there's so many things that would just be foreign to them. But can you see how, how wrong think that thinking is? All people need is Jesus. They need to hear the truth about him and believe. That's the only way to be saved. That's the, the wonderful simplicity of it. That should make us eager and not ashamed. We're nearly through. Uh, let's just think briefly together about the fruit of, of gospel eagerness. We're going to move really quickly now because time is, time is nearly gone. What happens when an individual or a church develops a deep eagerness for the gospel when they're simply not ashamed? Well, we see three things in this passage in the life of Paul that his gospel eagerness produces. Obviously, it produces a desire to, sh to share the gospel. But it also produces a persistence in prayer. So look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayer, asking somehow by God's will that I may at last succeed in coming to you. I find that amazing, particularly because Paul has never been to Rome. He's probably met some of the people in the church. It seems when you get to the end of the letter, he knows some of them, or at least knows of them. But he's never been to Rome, and yet he, without ceasing, prays for them. When a church is gripped by the power of the everyone gospel of Jesus, that will be a church that prays persistently, not just for its own needs, 
but for the advance of the gospel in, in every place. It's a persistent prayer. A gospel eagerness also produces a togetherness. Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each of us' faith, both yours and mine. This opening, uh, greetings, if you will, it's so warm and personal. It's full of eyes and mys and yous and yours. and It's, 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 it's personal. There's, a, there's an affection there. Paul longs to be with them so that they can share their faith with one another. Talk about Jesus together because he knows that will encourage them and bring them together. That's what gospel eagerness does. It, it draws people together. So if, we, if we talk about ourselves, inevitably we drift apart if all we talk about is ourselves. Maybe you've had the experience of speaking to someone who, who loves to talk a lot about themselves. If that's what we do a lot of, then we will drift apart. This competitive spirit will come in. But when we boast in Jesus Christ... That, that brings us together. That's magnetic, not repellent, when we talk about our confidence in him. I can remember last summer going for a walk uh, with someone, and during the course of this walk, this person began to tell me how they'd been reading through John's gospel. And they simply just began to tell me everything they love about Jesus that they've read in John's gospel. It was just such a delightful War. I was so encouraged. We, we, we felt a togetherness, a, a, a oneness. So what gospel eagerness does. And then gospel eagerness also produces partnership. Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Again, as we go through this letter, we'll see that Paul, is, he wants to partner with this church in, in Rome. He wants to serve them and he wants to be served by them. So that together they can see the advance of the gospel to Spain and, and further afield. That's again what gospel eagerness does. It lifts our eyes beyond ourselves. It helps us want to partner with others in the great family of God. Let's uh, pray. Let's pray together and ask for God's help that he would stir in us a deeper eagerness for the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Father, we pray uh, most of all that you would help us grasp more deeply why the gospel is good news. Father, increase our delight in Jesus, we pray, as individuals and as a church. Father, so often there's many things in this world that captivate our hearts. We pray, Lord, that their shininess and their attractiveness would wane in our eyes and that Jesus would become ever more glorious. And as that happens, Father, we pray that you would make us a, a church family that are increasingly eager for the gospel and not ashamed. Lord, we look to you to do this. 
We cannot do this by our own efforts. Would you do it by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.